many years ago as part of my seminary training. I had a wonderful homiletics professor who told us that if we were preaching something that we thought was very, very important and we wanted people to hear them and to listen to them, then we had to do three things because most people have a very short attention span. I've found that to be true. He said the three things we must do is, first of all, tell the people what you're going to tell them. Then secondly, tell them what you want to tell them. And thirdly, tell them what you told them. Two weeks ago, we started out the study of the covenant that we are inviting everyone to make with God with our rector, Mike, preaching at all the services and telling you about the covenant, telling you what we wanted to tell you about the covenant. Then last week, Tyler had the responsibility of telling you about the covenant. Today I come to you as the cleanup hitter. <laughs> it's my job to tell you what they told you in hopes that you will retain it and you will act on it. First thing we were told was that the covenant, unlike a civil contract between individuals, is a sacred, a spiritual agreement between God, our Creator, and His people. We're not just writing a message that is going to go into cyberspace somewhere. We are covenanting with God Himself. And He is anxious to hear your response because he's already given he's already taken the initiative and he's spoken to us and he has delineated many promises that he wants to fulfill in your life and blessings that he wants to bring into your life We were also told the last three weeks about some classical covenants that the Scripture instructs us about. The first and the most powerful one being the covenant that God made with Abraham. When God took the initiative and revealed himself to Abraham and invited him to leave the life that he knew and come into a new life, that God wanted to give him that would bless him and his people for generations to come until the end of time. This was especially meaningful to Abraham at this particular time in his life since he and his wife Sarah were well beyond the normal childbearing age. And the future for him looked very bleak. He faced the prospect of dying without issue 
and being forgotten. God gave him an alternative. He said, if you will leave the land, the culture, the gods, the place where you live, and come to a new place that I will take you to, I will bless you with descendants that will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And God soon fulfilled the first part of that covenant by giving him a son, Isaac. And through Isaac, a grandson, Jacob. And through Jacob, grandchildren, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then God arranged to be very faithful to this promise that he had made to his people because he took advantage of a natural occurrence of a famine that came upon the land of Cana and arranged for all of Abraham's grandchildren and his grandson to go into the most developed civilization of their day into Egypt and to stay there to sustain themselves during the famine and then God gave them an opportunity to take advantage of this great culture that they were in and learn things that they would have never learned had they stayed in Cana and followed the life of a Bedouin going from pasture to pasture but they found themselves exposed to the greatest developments at that particular time in science, in medicine, in every type of, of uh, human development you can imagine. And some anthropologists tell us that the Egyptian civilization was so far advanced, we cannot imagine the things that were available to them. And here the people of Israel learn some of the classical trades that we associate with the Jewish people even today, almost 5,000 years later. Science, medicine, banking, silver and gold smithing, all those sciences and developments. That was all part of God's faithfulness to his covenant and then when the tides of politics changed and it was necessary for these people to be rescued from slavery God sent Moses to them who led them back to the promised land and in the process made a new covenant with them that we know as the Ten Commandments a basic guide of life that will guide our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. And that second covenant sustained them for over a thousand years until about 500 years before it was time for the Messiah to come upon the earth. He raised up a prophet, Jeremiah, who said, a new covenant I will make with you. Not as the old covenant was made with the people of Israel, but this covenant 
I will make with each individual person. And I will write it in your hearts. And I will etch it in your mind. So that we will have an intimate relationship. One to one. With all the promises that I offer you. And that promise was realized when Jesus came, completed his public life of bringing the gospel to the world, and during the Passover meal, before going to the cross to offer his life as a sacrifice, as the blood seal to this everlasting covenant, he said, whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you fulfill the new covenant that I bring to you. You and I gather every Sunday and we participate again in the sealing of that covenant as we commune with our God and with each other. And that's what God is calling us into now. Not just a an interesting exercise, spiritual exercise, but a recommitment of ourself to our God. Now, why does God want to make a covenant with me? Why does God want to make a covenant with you? What draws God to desire to covenant with his people? very simple you're only here because he placed you here you are a result of the direct desire of God himself you're not an accident of birth you are the design of God and that relationship is best expressed, perhaps, in the words of John's Gospel, 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his Son that whoever should believe in him should have eternal life. And when we read those words, we should particularize them and say, God so loved me that he gave his Son for me. God loves you like an artist loves his work, his painting, because he created it. It was in his mind, and he made it real. And before you existed in this world, you existed totally as you are in the mind of God. Isn't that what the psalm told us last week? Isn't that what Jeremiah told us last week? Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I fashioned you, and my hand was up on you. We are precious in the sight of the Lord. That's why God wants to covenant with you. Why do we want to covenant with God? We were reminded last week that the first reason should be gratitude. We are here because God 
chose to fashion us into this world and to give us life. You are who you are because God made you that way. And he loves you that way. And he wants you to know him so that you can love him. Remember the words in the old catechism uh, of the Book of Common Prayer when it asked, why did God make me? And the answer was that God made me to know him, to love him, and to serve him in this world and to be happy with him in the next. How simple it is. We were designed to desire to know God and to learn everything we can about him because the more we learn about God and who he is and what he has done and the relationship he wants to have with us, the more we can love him. And the more we love him, the more we are able to serve him because he can never ask too much of us. And if we faithfully serve God, we do impact this world in the name of his Son and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we change this world into what God wants it to be changed, to prepare to be the kingdom that he wants to come back and establish in our midst. All of that's tied up into the concept of a covenant. So that as we are here today, coming to the end of this first month of a new year, we are truly at a new beginning. And we need to think and to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to tell us some of the steps we need to take this year to bring us closer in relationship to God to learn more about him so that we can love him more fully and serve him more faithfully. That's what he's calling us to do. The gospel today has an interesting concept for us about how we need to do this. Today we read a portion of the gospel of Mark. It was the first gospel that was written, and it is the shortest gospel that was written. And many of the incidents that are recorded in there are sort of like a Reader's Digest version of the things that happened. And to understand fully what all Mark had said you have to look at the other Gospels and remind yourself there's not just one Gospel, there's four Gospels that we have. And if you want to know Jesus Christ, you've got to read all four Gospels. You just can't follow Matthew or follow Mark or follow Luke or fo follow John. They have all written 
portions of the gospel that complement the reality of who Jesus is and what he does and what he offers to us. We just read the result gospel today as Jesus comes to Peter, Andrew, James, and John and says, come follow me. And remember the words that Mark said? And immediately they left what they were doing and followed Jesus. Now that has always troubled me. How could they so quickly, immediately take Jesus' invitation and follow him into a life that was going to change the world forever? It should bother you too. Because that's not the way it was. And we have to look at Matthew and John to fill in the rest of the incidents for us so that we can see the true picture and see what happened. And John, who was the last one to wrote his gospel, realized there was a little bit of deficiency. <laughs> and so he came back and he filled in the blanks for us. And it's in John's gospel that we find out that Andrew and James had a religious experience when they followed their curiosity into the desert to hear John the Baptist, who was calling people to repentance and declaring that a Messiah was coming. And they attached themselves to John and they became John's disciples and they assisted him in his preaching to those who came to the Jordan until one day the Messiah came. Jesus appeared. And John said to James and to Andrew, don't follow me anymore. I came here to introduce the Messiah. And my work is about done. I have to exit stage left and give the stage to Jesus. He's the one you want to follow. And John tells us that Andrew and James followed Jesus from the Jordan to where he was staying in Capernaum and spent the whole day with him, asking him questions, picking his brain, listening to him, fulfilling all the wonder that they had, all the uncertainty that surrounded him, and getting to know him. And they were so impressed with what they heard that each went back to his own home and Andrew grabbed his older brother Peter and James grabbed his younger teenage brother John and took them to Jesus the next day and the four of them spent that time with Jesus. Now we don't know how many weeks or months transpired until Jesus came to the Sea of Galilee 
and issued the formal invitation to come. But what we do know from reading the Gospels together as we are supposed to read them is that, Matthew, that John and James and Peter and Andrew had a great deal of time to pray and to think and to speak with Jesus and to convince themselves that they were about to be a part of something that was bigger than all of them. So that when Jesus did appear at the Sea of Galilee and invited them to fall, it was not an impulse. It was a well-thought-out decision to follow Jesus. And we know that they were faithful to that decision because each of them gave their life to the gospel. Andrew, Peter, and James dying as martyrs. John living into the second century to see the church grow and had the privilege of being the last living eyewitness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where we come in. You are not a brand new Christian. Some of you may be relatively new. And some of you may have had some real religious experiences in which you have felt your heart warmed and you have felt a change in you and you desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus is not interested in religious experiences that are a mile wide and a half an inch deep. He wants a true conversion of heart. And that's what comes from spending time with Jesus Christ and with the Word of God. And that's the duty of the church and that's the duty of this parish to provide you ample opportunity to examine all the things that you need to make a true decision of how you want to live your life. And that's the covenant. And once you decide that under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to commit that in writing, intentionally, to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're inviting you to do, and that's what we'll do next week. And I want you to look at the publications of our, of our parish, to look at the Sunday news, and to look at all those opportunities that are coming up very soon now with all the impact classes that we have, with all the small groups that are meeting in neighborhoods all over this community to study God's Word and to pray for true conversion. And we want you to list on that covenant some of the things that the Holy Spirit is putting it in your mind to be a part of, to join a Bible study, to go to Alpha, to pick out an impact class, to find a small group that is studying something that you need to know in your heart. And then list them on the list to, uh, next Sunday and turn them in. And this is something that's between you and God. No one else will see what you write down. They will simply be offered to God on this altar and then they will be destroyed. 
God wants to know what's in your heart. I want you to listen now to the testimony of three of our own members from these very seats and listen to how they are dealing with this invitation to covenant. Hey there, my name is Diane Frankenberger. I'm Stan Burke. I've been a member of St. Paul's for seven years. Well, my name is Becky Dixon, and I'm just here to talk about the experience that I had with um, Covenant. Covenant Month. Well, when, I first, when we first started doing this, I was uh, one of those people who made a checklist. I've always had a very strong problem with trust. But as time's gone by, it's become more of a love letter to Christ. And I, I, it, it allows me that moment of reflection, which you, everyone needs to take, where I remember why I am a Christian. And this morning when I was praying, I thought covenant is about daring to be last in line and saying, don't save me a seat. For me, it means that God's got my back. My issue for a long time has been trying to listen to the Lord. I get very distracted through just daily activities and my mind just gets very cluttered, and I just have a very hard time being still. So covenant gives you a time to sit, reflect, seriously reflect, and tell God nothing that he doesn't know, but something from your heart. You open yourself up, and you write something to God. I actually have my covenant here from last year, um, and... The item that I chose to work on was personal prayer and study. And what I put down here was I will make more quiet time so as to clear my mind and hear the Lord speak to me. Um, one time when I was going through a really bad time, the only thing that kept me from going over the edge was that little slip of paper that I wrote down and it said, Behold, I'm with you always. And that to me is covenant. It is a promise that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. The reason why the to-do list has become a love letter is because the trust is well-founded. And so I've become a, a person who, who's now writing a love letter because it's all in God's court. It's not in my court. Now I go into my bedroom and I read my Bible and I read my devotions in a very quiet set. It's not just a routine, like I'm just pulling out my Bible and reading it because that's what I'm supposed to do. I want to read my Bible so that I can know the Lord. Covenant is not something that we are, we're doing for God because we can't really do anything for God. God does everything for us. I, um, my letter to God is that, Lord, um, use me as you will. What will you have me do? When I live into the covenant, um, it's good. It's all good. Amen. We, we 